Hey everybody, welcome back to Funk Radio. This is your host Peter. And this is your host Kyle. How you doing today, Kyle? I'm pretty good. Just got back from Target. Got some food stuffs. Dude, I got Otter Pops. Oh damn. Otter Pops are the shit, and I kind of forgot they existed. But I figure summer is like the perfect time for those things. Mm-hmm. Actually, I shouldn't say I got Otter Pops. I got the Target knockoff, but whatever. Target Same Pops. Thing, Target Pops. Did you ever, when you would eat those, let them like half melt into juice yes. and then just drink the juice? Yes, exactly, <laughs> right? I would mush them up in my hands till they became like a slushy. Yeah. <laughs> and then just drink it like a gogurt thing. And then everything is all sticky because it's just sugar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would always do the blue ones because I like that my tongue turned blue. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I wanted a little bit, a little taste of childhood, so we got some at Target. Taste it for the children, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Hansen. So speaking of children, you know, Kyle, children love birthdays. It's the best time of the year, except for maybe Christmas. Yeah, once you hit like twenty-two, then birthdays just became has become a sad reminder of your mortality. That's true. But. Um, uh, r- related to birthdays, uh, you actually sent me a pretty interesting article uh, yesterday, I think, yes. uh, from N- NPR, uh, kind of talking about um, how the happy birthday song that we all know and love um, is actually c- a copyrighted song. And, you know, because I think everyone kind of assumes that the happy birthday song is um, public domain by this point. Because it's such an old song that everybody knows. Yeah. But someone actually has owned the rights to it. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it was voted like the most recognizable English language song in the world. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty crazy. So the reason, uh, at least the article says, uh, Mm -hmm. that that they're bringing this up is that uh, there's this lady filmmaker, um, Jennifer Nelson, who's making a documentary about the song. Nice. And... um, she actually paid a uh, publisher Warner Chapel. Um, she had to pay them the rights usage money for it, basically for her movie. But now she's actually kind of turning back and suing them for it because she's saying that it should be part of the public domain. And it's kind of ridiculous that you have to pay royalties to use the happy birthday song. Yeah. I was, cause it's one of those things you don't really think about, but like, if you really think about any TV show or movie or whatever, where the song is utilized it's either slightly different or like they don't play the whole song or they just infer it yeah this this article actually does mention a few funny and i never really thought about it because it's the happy birthday song you don't think about something like that being owned by anybody but it kind of makes sense from that standpoint when you think about it because it's never it's never sang the original way, I should say, that I've ever heard in like a movie or show. Uh, it's funny because I, I, now that I think about it, I have. Oh my god! Okay. It, I just realized something. What's that? That's why whenever the damn waiters at places sing "Happy Birthday" to you, they never sing like the actual uh, "Happy Birthday" song. That's why. Because then the company, Chili's or whatever, or Applebee's, would have to pay royalties for the song. They always do the weird clapping shit and sing like some bastardization of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, and I've noticed that a couple on some like shows or movies too. I just yeah. thought they're just being quirky for singing it differently. I didn't realize that like 
there was actually a reason behind that. Seriously, my mind just blew right then. I I never made that connection until just now. Because, yeah, no restaurant have I ever been to that they actually sing regular happy birthday. It was always, like, some weird hyperactive, like, happy, happy birthday, go fuck yourself, happy, happy birthday. You Here's know? a free piece of cake. I paid minimum wage, happy, happy birthday, <laughs> I have to sing for you, go fuck yourself, because I make $8 an hour. <laughs> no, that's, that's my favorite version. I mean, that's that's the version I grew up with. My family sings that to me every year. They did as a, as a child. Look, look how I turned out. <laughs> oh, pretty much. That explains so much, Peter. Uh, <laughs> it's like here's a carton of cigarettes. Happy Birthmas. What's what's Birthmas? There's it's no birthday cigarettes. and Christmas combined. <laughs> um, the Happy Birthday song was basically came. I don't know if they wrote. I it kind of it, it kind of it wasn't like written at one time it was kind of evolved into the lyrics that are uh, what they are today um by two sisters uh, Mildred and Patty Hill in in 1893 uh they were kindergarten teachers and they made the song for their students and, and like i said it's not like it started out as happy birthday the version that we know now it started out as good morning to all um and then kind of the melody and the lyrics and everything kind of evolved into what we know now know as happy birthday to you you know, 1893, obviously, that's, I don't know how many years ago that it was, but that's far over 100. Um, 122. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But then, I, I guess Warner Chapel acquired it in, what did they say, 1935 mm. um, or something? Anyway, that's that's when they claimed a copyright on it. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, there's that whole lawsuit I was talking about with um, Jennifer Nelson. And she's saying, well, this should be public domain um, because the copyright should have expired in 1921. And I believe we at least briefly touched on that before, how like all songs after that yeah. are public domain or something. All songs before 1921. That's, that's, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I wish it was the other way around. <laughs> music industry would be even more in shambles if that were true. What was I going to say? Um, but Warner Chapel says that they obtained it in 1935, which means that since they obtained the copyright after that cutoff date in 1921, that it will go public domain, but not until 2030. Oh, wow. So that's another 15 years from now. Fun fun fact about public domain. The reason that public domain continues to be extended is basically solely because of the Disney Corporation. Really? Every time it comes close to, like, uh, public domain, especially for Disney products and Mickey Mouse in general, uh, coming around, they petition Congress with all their crazy lobbyists to have it extended so that they can basically keep the mouse oh, on God. public domain because it was created in, like, the 30s. Wow. That so. makes a lot of sense that they do do that and they have the power to do it i'm sure yeah i'm sure there's other companies involved in that but i know that they're a big fighter against public domains like jeez like the life cycle of it or whatever you would call it why can't can they not like reclaim the copyright, like renew it or something i don't know i don't know that's a good question i don't know how that works like they'd have to like reinvent them or something or give them like blue overalls and say he's different (laughs) (laughs) it's not mickey mouse it's Morty Mouse. Mm, Dicky Mouse. <laughs> anyway, so we kind of want uh, I think the, the whole happy birthday 
song uh, fiasco is, is interesting, obviously, but uh, I think we also wanted to kind of use that as a jumping off point for, um, mm-hmm. I guess, our primary topic for this episode. Which is how music royalties work. Yeah, and this is actually, we you, you kind of came up with this on the air during our last episode. Yeah, kind of. Um, and we figured, why not do it right now? Yeah, so we kind of delved into the complicated legal jargon that is music royalties um, in figuring out like how artists are paid those royalties, how the royalties are broken up. It's it's kind of complicated, so we'll, we'll try and break it down for you guys, and we probably won't do a very good job. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, way more complex than I, I was imagining, because there's so many different levels of royalties. It's not just like, okay, here's a song you get 20%, you get 20%. It's like, you get a B, you get a B. <laughs> Everybody gets Bs. <laughs> um, because, you know, th- there's a lot of different people involved in the process of making a song. There's the songwriter, uh, who actually has to write the melody and the lyrics for the song. Uh, there's the publisher, who actually is basically the the owner of the song, more or less. And they're the ones um, responsible for getting it out there onto you know, onto CDs, onto vinyl, onto into movies, commercials, etc. Basically, anywhere the song is going, the publisher has to deal with that. So then you also have the performer, which is whoever recorded um, the song, written by the songwriter, owned by the publisher. Uh, let's see, we also have the recording company, or, or actually, in other words, the record label, which I guess can be a separate entity from the publisher sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like we I, talked about... It's like we talked about last episode with the um, with radio stations is the the publisher is sort of like the middleman between the record label and the artist, just uh, as yeah. the just as the uh, I forget what they were called PRs were the middleman between stations and record labels. Mm-hmm. Basically, record labels have a lot of middlemen that that go and do their dealings for them because legally they're not allowed to do it themselves. Right. <laughs> because monopoly. Yes, I love that game. Uh, you can learn more about that in our last episode, uh, 123. Yeah. Uh, are you sure it's it's the same people? Because I was actually just thinking... Cause for ex- it's, not, it's, it's not the same. I, shouldn't, I, I, I misspoke. It's not the same person's job. It's just a similar middleman construct. Okay, yeah, I get you. Because so. I was thinking, like, for example, if you have a song that's written by... Who is, um, who is the songwriting team? Was it Holland Dozier? Holland, Holland, Dozier, Holland. At Motown, yeah, they did a, or, yep. okay, let's say okay, so let's say that they that songwriting team is is quote unquote the songwriter for mm-hmm. a song. Um, let's say the performer of that song is Marvin Gaye. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, the recording company or the record label for that song would be Motown Records. The mm-hmm. publisher would be like I don't know Universal Music or whoever the hell you know existed back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I guess that would be kind of who it would be like the publisher i guess is like the distributor um, mm. of the song and deals with the actual ownership rights of it whereas a recording company is in terms of actually recording the song and mm. i guess distributing it's partly uh, responsible for the distributing but it's a little bit confusing to me now that's one thing i didn't get the difference between the publisher and the recording label can they be the same entity i I want to say that they are, especially nowadays, I think absolutely they could be because the few record labels we do have left these days are so big that I think they just kind of are a conglomerate of, 
you know, recording, publishing, you know, ownership. Uh, they basically take care of the entire spectrum of the ownership of a song. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, I don't know if it's like we talked about with Motown before, where they would have like subsidiary labels, if that was meant to be like their distributor of sorts, or if that was meant to be like their broken up record label uh, and Motown is the overall distributor. Don't quote me on this, but I think part of the reason that they would do the subsidiary label sometimes would be that uh, the people involved in creating that sub-label were actually given like a higher percentage of the royalties. Because let's say that um, you know the songwriter and, and the performer uh, decide to make a sub-label of Motown. Um, and then like the contracts of that sub-label, they get like a way higher percentage of that sub-label versus if they just went through Motown proper. Uh, I yeah. think that was one reason why they would do it sometimes, but I don't know for sure i'm actually looking at a marvin k record right now trying to decipher and see if they even have the publisher labeled uh, um at the bottom it just says circa 1969 motown record corporation all rights reserved trademark motown record corporation but then the label is tamla hmm. i'm so confused it doesn't help me which for those of you who don't know is a sub label of motown yeah yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really think about sublabels going into this discussion here. Well, that's the thing. I don't know how relevant they are anymore. I just, I just was confused if that was back then. That was kind of the what do you call it? The pro, the prototype of the publisher. Mm-hmm. So we were listing all like the kind of like the major players, I guess, of what goes into a song. Um, so to recap, we have the songwriter who writes the song. We have the publisher who basically more or less owns the song's copyright and uh works on giving permission for people to use it in movies and stuff like that and probably the radio as well you have the performer who sang the song uh you have the recording company or the record label who recorded the song Uh, you also have what's called a performing rights organization or pro which is in charge of licensing the music uh specifically for um public performances so like concerts for example oh that makes sense so they kind of have a separate entity that worries about like uh, public performances, I guess, for the song. Mm-hmm. And then there's finally there's the mechanical rights agency. Maybe uh, what, are, what are the mechanical royalties again? Is that like- I was going to say mechanical. I can explain the different types of royalties after this, but I guess the mechanical royalties refers to permissions that are granted to quote mechanically reproduce music. Um, onto some form of media, so like you said, CD, vinyl, whatever, for public distribution. So it's basically the royalties gained simply by publishing the, the, the music on a physical medium. Okay, that makes sense. So then, so in that instance, the publisher grants permission, aka mechanical royalties, to allow for reproduction of that album. That you know what that see. would probably. You know that would where that would probably come into play is our beloved five dollar bargain bins. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that whatever company turns those out probably gets mechanical royalties to right. publish those songs from the original publishers onto new compilation discs or whatever. It, exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So basically, the mechanical rights agency was just like, okay, we handle the rights for when we're actually reproducing it onto physical media of some kind. The performing mm-hmm. rights organization says we handle the rights 
um, and the royalties for when it's a public for performance. And then the, the regular standard publisher of the song basically handles everything else, which is if it's played in a movie, for example, like with the, the happy birthday thing, like that the publisher is the one dealing with that. Um, if they want to play on the radio, anything, it's not being reproduced physically. It's just being played in some other medium, mm-hmm. uh, like the radio or TV or movie, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that kind of falls in with the the the, the basic breakdown of of the royalties is there's four different types. There's the type that I cover that I talked about just a minute ago, mechanical, which mm-hmm. is putting it onto a some sort of medium, CD, cassette, vinyl, whatever, mm-hmm. for public distribution. Then there's performance rights, which kind of similar to what you discussed before, it's uh, the rights of an individual to perform a song live or via some sort of broadcast. Those, unlike mechanical royalties, which usually accrue based on the, you know, the distribution level, performance rights are usually like a blanket, a a set sum where Mm. an entity will pay a set sum to allow their artist or whatever to perform the total, you know, catalog of someone's songs. Mm. Say, you know, uh, radio stations, or if they want to have like a live broadcast on TV or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and then their synchronization rights, those have to do with music used in movies, television, and commercials. So, whenever music is paired with some sort of, I guess, visual medium, right? Um, and then print rights are the royalties paid to the songwriters and publishers based on a printed sheet of music. So, say, you know, someone comes out with a song. And they release the I don't know the com- composition. If they the release like the, the the sheet music, the Motown sheet music book or something. Yeah, so that someone could else could play it, they get royalties from that. Yeah. So I guess the four ways to look at it are royalties for distribution of media, royalties for performances, royalties for film and TV, and royalties for print. All right. So, and I, I imagine that the print one is not used nearly as much as the others. No, probably not. I would imagine the biggest, as far as like total money gained, is probably mechanical royalties. Possibly. Yeah. I assume those royalties are you know accumulated based on sales, to a degree. Yeah, and something we talked about in the last episode is that like uh, when when an artist goes on tour and does you know live performances mm-hmm. really there's not a whole lot of profit to be made there Mm-mm. um so i don't think which explains why performance royalties are kind of like a lump sum you know right um so generally it's especially if they're just starting out and not you know super freaking huge mm-hmm. they're actually basically losing money when they're going on tour until they're really popular so there's not really much royalty money to be made there um I don't actually know what the real numbers are. I would imagine that performance rights and royalties could actually pay more than mechanical. Uh, just because, like, for example, what, what was her name? Uh, Jennifer something? Gen- uh, Jennifer Nelson. Yeah. You know, I don't know how much she had to pay in royalties to use that song in her movie. Uh, maybe, that, maybe that's a bad example because you're not really getting printed like albums of that song it's a kind of a different circumstance i guess but True. i was thinking like you know if if a, if a popular song is being used in a bunch of commercials it's used in a couple of movies 
Um, it's being played on the radio all the time. I would imagine that the royalties you get from all that almost could make you more than through actually printing. Because I know like even like making CDs and stuff is like not the most uh, lucrative business anymore either. Mm-hmm. Plus, like there's basically no overhead costs when you're talking about licensing it for a movie or something or the radio versus mechanical. You're spending a lot of upfront costs that you kind of have to make back um, when you're actually making the actual, uh, you know, the the medium of like you have to buy blank CDs, you have to buy blank cassette. You know, that's the very basic term of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know actually that that's a good question whether mechanical or performance is more kind of brings in more money. Well, I'm, I don't want to break down the the finances of it, but basically. I'm just reading here, mm. as far as mechanic, the, the mechanical royalties for the writer of the song slash publisher, mm-hmm. basically every time a song is, from a mechanical standpoint, sold or played or whatever, they earn eight cents or something. Right, so actually... If, if a song is an average of like five minutes or something. Can we pause for a second on that? Okay. Um, that, that reminds me... Uh, and I'm sure you're, you're probably segueing in the, into this right now, but um, isn't it true that the different, because like we said, like a lot of different people own kind of different pieces of a single song when it comes yeah. to royalties. Isn't it true that with these different types that each one of them kind of owns different pieces of the pie can different, like depending on. Yeah. Yeah. Like on depending on, depending on which type of royalty it is, it depends on who gets the majority of that money. Well, for example, Mechanical with the print rights and royalties, like. None of that is going to go to the performer. No, it's all going to. It's mostly probably going to go to the songwriter and then the publisher. Exactly. But sorry, yeah. Go but then continue. If, but then if someone is, but then if someone else is performing that song, that the songwriter still gets some sort of kickback. Right, but maybe not as much. Um, exactly. Um. So yeah, I, I kind of interrupted you, but I just wanted to no, make no, that no. Clear. I you're no, you're you're on the money there. Yeah, there's there's writer or pub, there's writer slash publisher mechanical royalties, which is I as I broke down. Usually in in the U.S. at least is about eight cents for a song that's five minutes or less in length, and then there's the recording artist mechanical royalties, which are way way complex, but basically amount to somewhere between eight to twenty five percent of the suggested retail price of the recording. So mm. if an album, if a CD sells for ten bucks, they get between eighty cents and two fifty for per. And this per is CD the songwriter. This is the recording oh, the re- artist. Oh, mechanical That's royalties. not that bad, actually. Oh, this is interesting. Back in the day of vinyl records, um, apparently there was a lot of breakage when albums were shipped because records are fragile. Uh, Due to this, recording companies actually only paid uh, their artists based on 90% of the shipment of records because they accrued for that 10% Oh, regardless whether they broke or not? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, I guess now because of, you know, new new safer shipping methods, that's pretty much gone, but that's kind of funny that they factored that in back then. Wow, that means means they predicted that 1 out of 10 would break. That's really yeah. high. That's really well. Records are really fragile, but I mean, they wow. not only break, but in heat they can warp. Mm. Uh, they can get bent really easy. 
I've honestly I've got I mean not not nearly one in ten but I've I've gotten what I thought were brand new records mm-hmm. opened them up and like looked at them they're like warped to hell Weird. and there's really not a lot you can do about it it's kind of sad mm-hmm. I mean you could take it back and exchange it if you bought it at a store but it's just kind of sad records I mean not records uh, CDs or cassettes they're a lot more resilient that way so you should have taken it back to the store and demanded that you only have to pay 90% <laughs> exactly oh oh this okay remember how you said oh this is interesting remember how you said oh 25% of the CD sale you know that's pretty good for an artist yeah well it doesn't actually work out that way basically of that 25% there's this things called advances and recoupment okay. uh, where the recording company or the record label pays the recording artist an advanced of money that must be paid back out of their royalties. So basically, record companies be like, here, I'm going to give you $100,000 right now. When the royalties come uh, in for you, you have to give us $100,000 back. Probably, I'm sure there's interest or some shit. So that way they don't, right, yeah. That way they don't have to, like, wait, I guess, to sell 10,000 records. They can yeah. have something up front. On, on top of that, there's this thing called recoupment, which in addition, in addition to paying back their advance of some sort of a semblance of a salary the recording artists actually are also required to pay for many other expenses including recording costs promotional costs tour costs music video production costs and other expenses so basically as we kind of talked about in the prior episode the artist is paid a lot of these royalties but for the privilege of working with a recording company the recording company takes a lot of their royalties back so even though let's okay let's break it down simply if they sell ten, if the ten dollar album they sell a million albums they make ten million dollars so the royalties from that would be two point five million sounds like a lot of money mm-hmm. but the recoupment and advances in salary could basically like depending on the cost of tours and recording and stuff they could end up with twenty percent of of that which is what a I'm lot of math four hundred thousand dollars. Roughly, mm-hmm. so it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a, a shitty like you know what's that game the cup game where you hide the ball under the three cups and shift stuff around <laughs> whatever that's called it's like a, it's like a shitty version of that for the artist because they think oh I'm gonna make all this money off royalties but then they're handed a check and the recording company's like okay now you can pay us back for this and this and this and this and this and all this stuff that we spent money you know to promote you which is which is so dumb because like the the record label i mean how much did they get up front to begin with like 50 percent. i don't even know what it is i'm just guessing it's some high number like that and then Mm -hmm. they're already making like way crazy profits out of it and then they're still charging the artists for all these stupid things Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because it's not like they're losing any money yeah, and honestly, I think that's why a lot of new artists are really trying to kind of either they create their own recording labels or they do it independently so that they're not, you know, shafted that way. Yeah. Um, one type of royalty that we actually haven't tipped, uh, haven't touched on yet because it is a newer thing is internet royalties. Did you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, why don't we talk about that? It's weird because, you know, going into this, I was thinking that, well, they probably lump internet downloads and stuff uh into mechanical uh mechanical because i mean it is a form of reproduction i guess 
basically what happens is that because like I was actually was talking about this earlier, like the overhead costs of of uh, mechanical royalties, how you have to pay, you know, that hundred probably tens of thousands of dollars uh, to put you know your music on media such as CDs, for example. Um, when you have internet downloads that's non-existent, I mean, you basically you're just saving out a file and letting people download it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that or does, stream it. it or stream it, yeah, and and it literally costs them nothing, basically, because of the overhead costs. Um, the record companies say, okay, we're going to reduce the royalties by twenty to fifty percent to the artist. So that means that. Um, Rather than reducing it for themselves, they say, okay, artist, it's not costing us anything. So you get less royalties. Um, nice. So, like I said, they reduce it by 20 to 50%, meaning that, uh, for example, if an artist uh, is making 10% royalty on a song, now they're only getting 5 to 8% um, if it's downloaded from the internet. Um, I think if, you, if it's streaming, it's even lower than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the streaming uh, royalty rate for Spotify is like stupidly, stupidly low. Is, I think it's like, like a f- I want to say half a penny per play or something. I don't know. It's some, it's some really. Small I remember number. it being something like you have to like it has to be played like a thousand times before it's the equivalent of a downloaded or something. It's something it ri- something ridiculous like times. that. Oh, wow. I, I don't. Again, don't quote me on that, but I thought I remember it being some crazy number like that. Where they they essentially make no money at all from the royalties of something like Spotify mm-hmm. or any other streaming service, um, and so, so downloads are bad enough, but then from streaming they basically yeah. get nothing. Mm-hmm. Were you going to say sad that? because I was going to say which is sad because I'm sure a lot like Spotify plays the rec- the record labels oodles and oodles of money to be able to play those songs, right? And yet the artists don't get any of that back, which is why. Isn't is isn't that probably why Taylor Swift took all her stuff off? No, Taylor Swift or took all her stuff off. Be, yeah, exactly. Because well, that's it's kind of the. I mean, I understood where she was coming from, but it was kind of like you're 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 fighting the wrong guy. She was blaming Spotify for how little they pay artists, but then Spotify mm. came back and said, you know, ask go ask your record label how much they made us pay them to play your stuff. Yeah, and then ask them where that money goes. <laughs> You know, yeah. So they kind of were like, you know, we pay so much to record companies that we can't pay a lot to the artists, and the God knows the record companies aren't paying that back to the artist. Yeah. So. Oh gosh. So um, yeah, that's all fun stuff. So uh, mm-hmm. like you were saying with uh, with the uh, the mechanical royalties, how they take out a certain amount uh, for production costs or like broken records or something. Mm-hmm. Um. They actually do a similar thing with internet downloads. Broke, broken file. <laughs> exactly. Um, even though, like I said, there's absolutely no costs associated with putting these out there, basically. Um, there's no packaging expenses. The record company still takes out 25% for a quote-unquote packaging fee nice. for the artists. So it's already lower than it should be for them. And then we're also saying, okay, we're taking out a quarter of that for packaging, which doesn't exist. So that's fun. Yay. Silly record companies. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> so, are, are there any other aspects of 
royalties that, aside from the ones we discussed, mechanical, internet, print, performance. I think that cover kind of covers all. I mean, because that covers a lot of different stuff, and that pretty much covers all the different possible places that a song could go. Mm-hmm. The the article that we're looking at specifically goes into like a lot more detail of like how it breaks down to like algorithms of you know how different royalties are paid to different groups depending on the venue it's played at uh you know if it's played on tv radio or if it's a restaurant for something there's so many different ways that that it gets split up and i don't think you listeners necessarily want to listen to all those numbers we don't really want to talk about them yeah Uh, if if you really want to learn more about that um just go do some simple searches online for how uh, you know how music royalties work and I, I think you'll find some good stuff to kind of expand your brain um we've been trying to do our best of helping you along on that but we're not going to get into like the actual numbers any further than we already have so actually what here's a good question so what happens like for example the songwriters of happy birthday mm-hmm. uh mildred and patty hill are obviously dead long dead long dead so what happens to the percentage that would normally go to the songwriter? Does it just get lumped into the the, uh, the publisher? I mean, if if they have some sort of estate, I'm sure it would go to them or their children or their grandchildren. Oh, duh. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, that's that's what. Otherwise, it probably defaults back to the publisher. I would assume. Yeah, I forgot about the whole like leaving the stuff to your family or whatever. Yeah, well. Speaking of, I guess, those types of royalties, remember Michael Jackson bought basically the, the mechanical royalties to, like, most of the Beatles songs. Oh, I forgot about that. And made shitloads of money from it. When did Probably. he do that? He did that, I want to say, in the 80s, because he was always, he was pretty good friends with Paul McCartney, and then, like, Paul McCartney kind of, like, inadvertently told him, oh, yeah, the, like, the sort of like the copyright is up for sale for you know a bunch of Beatles stuff like in a couple in like a year or so and Michael Jackson's like oh really and then like a year later he went and bought them all because like in the 80s Michael Jackson had like more money than anybody he was in all of time basically Jesus yeah, yeah. the Jesus of money so mm. wow he had a giraffe That that's true he has giraffe fuck you money <laughs> Because, see, there, there's fuck you money, which is, like, when you have so much money that, like, if people complain about you, you could just say, fuck you, I have money. And then you throw and money at them. And then there's fuck you giraffe money, which is basically, fuck you, I have a giraffe. <laughs> what if a giraffe has a lot of money, and then he owns another giraffe? I think that's called slavery. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's bad. Don't do that, yeah. kids. He owns four-fifths of a giraffe. God. Okay, so... <laughs> Probably, if if Happy Birthday really is still <laughs> transitioning from slavery into the Happy Birthday song, because that's what <laughs> that's what we do on Funk Radio. Um, you know, if uh, it sounds like um, Warner Chapel still owns the rights to, to the Happy Birthday song, so I would assume that technically the Hill Sisters still own a piece of that song as well. So I would imagine that they're their heirs or their estate or whoever is still getting paid for that song as well. Yeah. Theoretically. Probably. But then we were talking about earlier, like no movies, no TV so- or TV shows or anything 
uses the actual Happy Birthday song for this reason because they don't want to pay for it because it is stupid. So where who, where, yeah, who are they making so money off of? Not, I was going to say, they're probably not making a ton of money. I don't know. That's bizarre. Did Marilyn Monroe have to pay when she sang Happy Birthday to John F. Kennedy? <laughs> I don't know. Something, okay. And uh, we're going to play devil's advocate here on the show. Are we allowed to sing it on this show? I don't know. We should. And then see if, like, we get, like, a cease and desist letter. <laughs> well, I mean, like, okay, I, I, I like that idea. But before we do that, what, like, what would be we, we be lumped under? I guess we would be lumped under um, performance? Yeah, because we're performing, we're, we're performing the song for, that it was written by, because we didn't write it. And we're not distributing it in, in any sort of monetary sense. So I would assume performance. What's the one that covers like covers like if if someone wants to like cover a song because like I think it would I think be, that's performance. Is it still perform because like I know performance would be like if someone else is performing a song written by a different songwriter. Right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because I was also thinking that like if there was a performer, let's okay, let's just fuck it, let's just say Michael Jackson sang Happy Birthday in its own Happy Birthday, <laughs> its own by Motown Records. Okay. If we played that whole song on this show, we would need the uh, performance rights to play it much like a radio station or in a movie if they wanted to include the whole song or a part of the song. Uh, they would, you know, we would need the performing or not uh, the whatever it was. I'm losing my mind. Um, but you're saying that even if we are covering it, I guess it would still be. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because... Um, like the happy birthday thing was saying, like even movies and TV don't sing it mm-hmm. because I guess they would be lumped under uh... synchronization. Oh, are they under synchronization? Yeah, movies and TV are synchronization. Performance. Oh, there is you go. Okay. Like concerts, or I assume radio. Or it says all talk radio stations. Okay, so yeah, I guess it would be synchronization slash whatever. I don't know. There's so much different things here, and it's. Really confusing me. It hurts my brain. Oh, Happy oh. birthday. <laughs> Do the Michael Jackson voice. I don't have the energy for it. Happy birthday to you. We should sing it for our good friend Gary. Because it was recently his birthday. Okay, we'll, we'll sing it. We'll sing it for Gary. I, I thought we were going to sing it for Mr. President, but Gary works too. Gary President. Happy birthday to, to you. you. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. We don't Happy own the rights birthday. to the song. Give us money. And we hope Happy you birthday. don't sue. <laughs> <laughs> that actually rhymed. And, and we, oh, man. So there you so have that's it. What that, that's what they should sing at restaurants. We don't own the rights. And we hope you don't sue. <laughs> Gosh. Well... I guess we are rebels here on Funk Radio for singing the Happy Birthday song. Yes. See, if you change the words, that's what I always wondered mm. too. If you change the words but keep the melody, how does that work? Like, do you like do uh, like Weird Al songs because he like he usually keeps the melody well, see, and those, like half of the lyrics, right? Or at least some of it. I was going to say those those fall under free use because of satire. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. If you make fun of a song or you make like a funny version of it or or whatever, if it's 
called fair use because you're satirizing the subject matter. Even though the tune is the same? Yep. Wow. So actually, we are we are good then. Because yep. that, was, that was satire. Yeah. yeah. Sort of, basically. <laughs> it was funny. So, interesting. So we aren't maybe as big of rebels as we thought. No, we're just comedians. I don't think we're that either. So yeah, that was a little, little bit of a economic lesson on royalties. Yes, and so if you ever, uh, if you ever see a TV show or a movie that does play the actual Happy Birthday song, no, they paid out the ass for it. You you know they paid a lot of. Yes, they yes they did that. I guess that's the end of our episode. Uh, as mm-hmm. always, you can find us on overmental.com. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. Beyond that, uh, there's a couple of other announcements. One, uh, I'm trying out uh, SoundCloud Pro for us this month. Uh, so I have the entire archive of all of our episodes up there. You can download them. You can play them, whatever, for free. It's all awesome. Hopefully, if we get enough of a following there by the end of the month, we will find a way to keep paying for it because I think it's worth Yay. it. And where can you find that page, Peter? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, that would be soundcloud.com slash getyourfunk. We also are technically on Twitter as well now. Um, I actually oh, we are. I, Someone told me this. <laughs> right. Well, I knew you would get mad. Um, I actually technically made the account a while back, like maybe half a year ago, but I don't use Twitter, so we never really used it. <laughs> um, but I, I, I realized yesterday, I was like, oh, we can just have it so that it automatically sends our Facebook posts to Twitter as well. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> that way we can say we're on Twitter, but technically don't not have to use it shit. still. <laughs> I don't think either of us knows how to use Twitter. I don't know. Um, I don't even know how Twitter works. I don't know. But um, so we are, I think it's, yeah, it's twitter.com slash getyourfunk. So it's the same name everywhere. We're trying to make it a little bit easier for you. Get your funk everywhere you can. Get your funk everywhere you can. Obviously, you can still follow us on on Twitter um, if you're more of a Twitter person and not a Facebook person as much. Um, I can't agree, I, or I can't guarantee that we're going to respond to you as quickly if you say something to us, just because we're not on that as much. But if if you just simply want to get the updates on like new episodes and stuff, you'll still get it uh, at the same time as if you follow us on Facebook. So that's awesome. Uh, one last thing I'm not going to promise this but it's looking kind of hopeful um, especially if we keep going on SoundCloud into the future um, mm-hmm. it does offer uh, it does automatically generate an RSS feed which we can turn into uh, an iTunes listing so I actually did submit it I, I, I submitted it today and hopefully it'll generate onto the iTunes store meaning that after I don't know over a year probably now after it broke for some reason, which we never find out, figured out, uh, we could very well be back on iTunes. That would be awesome. Um, so yeah, that would be that that would be awesome. Well, we're just we're just getting all over the interwebs. I know. Trying, we're trying to expand our uh, our reach here because not enough of you care about the show, so we need to keep looking for people who do. We have to make you care by just being everywhere. That's how you get someone to care yeah. about something. Exactly. Is not leaving them alone. By oversaturating them with it. <laughs> oh, gosh. We hope you enjoyed our little dive into the intricate mechanics of music royalties. And we hope you join us for our next episode. And if it's your birthday today, happy birthday, listeners. Yes. 
have some cake on us. Yes. This has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Kyle. And you've been listening to Funk Radio, but now you won't be anymore, sadly, after because a few more it's seconds. Ending. Three, two, one. Uh, uh.